0: G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Marn, and today I'm really excited to be deep diving into the inside story of Jordan de Jong, and he's the owner of Game Plans, which is one of the most revolutionary and brilliant pieces of software that is an online portal and enables investors to plan out their portfolio and model it all out, and it's what we're using to create our strategic portfolio plans. So in this part 1 of the story, we're going into his personal investing and the lessons learned experiences that he's had along the way and he's also learned a lot personally from dealing and helping with hundreds and hundreds of bond plans for other investors as well. So this part 1 is going to be excellent. Make sure you tune in for part 2 to as well when we're going to be going into the actual game plan software everything that's involved in a good plan why people make mistakes when they're planning what's uh, actually involved in creating a strategic plan and all the benefits to it so let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to
1: grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann.
0: Hey, Jordan. Thanks for joining us today. Looking forward to hearing
1: your story and getting stuck into things. Hey, Jared, thanks for having me on, mate. I'm super pumped to be here and I always love a bit of a yarn about property, and everyone loves talking about themselves. So it should be a bit of a fun one. Yeah, well, I was following you for
0: quite a while before we started working together. And, you know, I enjoy your insightful posts that you put out and share the occasional one. And, um, you know, just seem to have your head screwed on when it comes to investing, which I guess is rare to. You know you're still pretty relatively young as well. How old are you anyway? Uh, 30. Ah 30. Oh, yeah, see, relatively turned young. The, turned the big three0 <laughs> this year, so Yeah, well, I just hit the big four0 <laughs> well a month ago, so we're both hitting milestones and you know lovely. Did it make you reflect on a bit on you know where you're at in life and your journey?: Oh yeah. Life?
1: definitely i think we'll get into a lot of it today but my perspective has completely changed we'll just talk about this off air but especially since i've had our daughter who's now two and a half so big change at about 28 and then i think hitting 30 and just like cause my old man's always been 30 years ahead of me so when i was 10 he was 40 when i was 20 right. I was fifty, and we celebrated his 60th and like when you cracked the 60th you start to get over that edge of like you're not as nimble and strong and you know things really start to deteriorate so like all, all hats off to him he's a he's a he's a weapon he still gets out he's shoveled like
0: mm-hmm.
1: three ton of gravel over the weekend or something he was telling me about so he's still getting out there but um yeah just really starting to see him change and deteriorate and, and me go oh, like you know, i'm 30 in another 30 years i'll be that like how short is life so mm-hmm. uh i think a lot's changed over that time horizon well, let's dig into some of it, shall we? Um
0: tell us a bit about your background and what you've ended up finding your way into doing for a living.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, so I've been fortunate enough to live in three different states in Australia, which has been really, really cool. Uh, I grew up in Sydney, and I was there till I was about twenty two, I think. went to school there obviously, and then studied a Bachelor of Housing in a oh, Bachelor of Housing uh, at the University of Western Sydney. Uh, which is a more, it's like a construction management degree, but it's more focused okay. on residential property and like a little bit more data and an a- economics overview. So I always like coming out of school, I wanted to get into construction because it was like a high paying job as soon as you'd finished, but never. And I like, I do enjoy being on a working site, but it just wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted. Like I was always a bit of an office kid. So through that ended up getting a job with a, a, a quite a large residential construction company um, was there for about 10 years and then sort of progressed all the way uh, from like an estimator to sort of being on site and estimating. Then I got like really stuck into like the back end of our systems and understanding the data within our systems and how we could you know, be efficient or become more efficient with analyzing that data. And then there was this like big wave of like data science, not like the recent wave, but it was kind of like the tech wave and it probably happened four or five years ago. Um, so I really started to get into like machine learning and data and all that sort of stuff. Moved to Melbourne, started to do like a developer job. And I was paying, I was getting a minimum wage, like 60 grand a year. Or something like that. I don't even know if that's minimum wage, but I was getting a lower income. <laughs> and uh, old company called me back and said, look, there's obviously a space for you here doing the stuff that you were doing. So I was, I was pretty fortunate to work in a big company with a lot of data, like essentially having free reign to work on what I wanted to work on in the machine learning space. So taught myself a lot of skills doing that and understand, started to understand a lot of the greater economy and how that affected everything by doing that as well. So I don't know if I mentioned, but I moved to Melbourne in between that time, traveled uh, Europe and America pretty heavily, got married and started to build my portfolio. And then maybe three years ago, I stepped out of the corporate ladder and um, just always knew that I wanted to be in property. But always wanted to start my own business and because i had that development skill and um knew knew sort of what i wanted to pursue and my sort of niche in the area i stepped out and started the the business game plans which is a an online online portal and um yeah just been working hard at that for the last sort of two to three years um and that's been fortunate enough for us to be able to work remotely and uh we've recently moved to the gold coast so um yeah three states and a bit of a journey so far but (laughs) Been super exciting up until today. So yeah, you've got a
0: real wide perspective there from the uh, studying in the um, uni world and getting your degree, and then um, corporate world, and and I guess that insight you've gained from construction, no doubt, feeds back around into your, your property side, and just some of the ways you would have thought about managing projects and those sorts of things gives you a lot of perspective. I find from my engineering days of doing that sort of thing, it just helps you think a certain way
1: um is that the case for you as well and yeah definitely I think I um it gives me it gives me a much bit um bigger concept of what a dwelling actually is like when it, you know when you go to an open home or when you see a property online you don't just see the, the pretty pictures and the nice paint on the wall you can you know articulate what might be behind the plaster and how it's all pulled together and what year it was built in and what they might have used I definitely even though I still always get a building and pest inspector you can yeah definitely have those skill sets to easily identify any major issues that you know uh are, are visible at least for for the most part and um help you make decisions that way hmm. and how did you originally get the idea for investing in property what was that light bulb light, yes. uh, bulb moment like for you <laughs> <laughs> um it's a it's a good journey so my old man uh, is a real estate agent and still still really? uh, came on when I was 10 and um, now he just mm-hmm. manages. So he manages like five offices or six offices or something over in New Zealand. And so two things came out of that. The first thing is he always had books on the shelf that were related to property investing. So like the old Margaret Lomas's, not that old Margaret old, old <laughs> Margaret <is laughs> old, like the older books. Yeah, um, the older Steve McKnight's, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all that sort of stuff was on the bookshelf. And I was just fortunate enough as a 15 year old kid to be able to go and pick them up on a you know a summer holiday where I had nothing to do mm-hmm. and read them which was really beneficial but the second thing is he used to work in um for the listeners who might know uh there's an area in new city new south wales called Bella Vista waters and there's like really high net wealth or individuals but also properties that sell in the area so let's call it 10 years ago there was property selling for like three or four million dollars so should look up how much they're worth today, but yeah. he made friends with all of his clients that he used to sell properties to. And I was fortunate enough to tack along as the young Tucker for dinners and start like going to their houses and being a part of that negotiation. And I think the biggest thing that I learned from number one, reading the books, but number two is like all of these people made money in business um, and then they placed that money into real estate and, and kept generating wealth that way. So for me, I always like knew fundamentally like I need to have a business and I need to be in property. And I guess that concept has probably changed a lot, like being in the corporate ladder and now having my own business and probably something we can get into in a second. But um, yeah, that's where it kind of all sparked for me.
0: Mm,
1: Awesome. So
0: how have you kind of used those past experiences to formulate a bit of an approach or strategy for property investing? How, How have you started on that journey and how's it kind of developed a bit over time? Yeah, uh yeah because it's really confusing isn't it when you're starting out because there's just so many different ways to do things you almost have to get a wide perspective and then start to
1: work out or what's for you you know how have you how have you gone through that i think you've nailed it and i think as i was just alluding to there's so many ways to think about it Uh, and you know the way i used to think about on the corporate ladder is it's a way to exit the rat race right you build this portfolio with a passive income stream and eventually at some point in time that passive income would replace your current income and you could go to pina coladas on the beach and i think you know anyone who's sort of stuck or feels stuck in in a job that they might not like typically wants that right you want a way out a way that you can you don't have to work for money and so you know you build philosophies around that around i need to get into property i need five properties i need you know this type so, I mean, cash support. flow, like, what's the point otherwise? You know, exactly to replace my income, exactly. And so, um, it's probably not up until I've like maybe the last 12 to six months now I've spoken to probably, I don't know, at least 5,000 investors over the the course of working with everyone that I've come to realize that everyone really is different. And I think a lot of people come. With that perception of that's what I need to do, but they don't put context around what their actual goal is or what they actually want out of their portfolio. You know it's as simple as if you don't enjoy your job and you want to build a portfolio that's going to take you twenty five years to pay down, but you've got to work a job you don't enjoy for twenty five years, well, that's not really a life worth worth living, right? So, I think it's really identifying what you want every day and then working in a portfolio that's going to work around that for you so you can enjoy every day, but also still build that longer term wealth and that passive income so that one day you can decide if you want to continue to work in a job that you are enjoying or decide you know you want to go down to two two days or three days or something like that. And I know like I used to hear this concept of everyone's different and everyone's unique and there's no one perfect strategy. I mean, I always thought it was a bit of a cop-out yeah yeah you're listening you're just like
0: tell me tell me what i should do and there's probably people listening right now
1: <laughs> thinking that too exactly and i like it, it used to really really frustrate me and there's uh, i think if if you feel like that like there's just there is no real simple answer there's no one plan that fits everyone everyone is really unique everyone wants something really different mm-hmm. out of life some people are happy to sacrifice for their kids for 10 or 20 years so they have a better life than than they did and other people are like look my kid even if i'm earning two or three hundred k worth of passive income and it comes at the cost of growth like my kids are going to enjoy that two or three hundred passive income anyway when i when i when i pass so everyone really has a different perspective of life everyone's you know grown up in a different environment and been taught different things and have unique appearances so at It's really that reverse engineering that down to what your ideal lifestyle looks like and then fitting a plan around that the ideal outcome around that and we've all got different levels of
0: cash flow that we can handle and an ability to save and contribute to that investing it's no point buying a you know high-end high-growth property that's going to be short falling you know too much and you have to sell it six months later if you haven't thought through it all and then likewise you know if you can afford the higher growth properties and you don't need the cash flow now doesn't it make sense to and you're happy in your job you No, know, you can probably then look more towards the growth and i i'm pretty skeptical these days when i listen to anyone that's just you know here's the one magic bullet here's the one size that fits all and you have to look a little deeper and i'd be very skeptical um is that been your experience as you look around the landscapes too now that now
1: that you've got this wider perspective Mate, the amount of conversations I've had with prop- people who want, you know, 10 properties in 10 minutes or 10 weeks or 10 months or 10 years is, is, is hilarious. Like it's, unfortunately, it's a really good headline. It's a really mm-hmm. good sales pitch. And I think so much of that, you know, we get so caught up on that because a lot of people out there will sell that dream of retire now and live your ideal lifestyle. You can do it in five years by buying five properties. It works really well because it's what as you know, emotionally what we want we're trying to get out of this rat race right yeah. so it's we what want we simplicity we want you know uh, give me the simple instructions to follow it draws it to us but it's you know it really is a sales pitch and like i'm sh- i know heaps of people that have done it um i've seen them be super successful i've seen them do it in a short amount of time frame it definitely can be done yeah. but in most cases, those guys have got businesses that are generating a million or two million dollars a year. They've got they can go out and buy, you know, a five or six million dollar portfolio off the off the back. They they get the right people in front of them that help them buy the right assets that so yeah, they will they pay, pay the, 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 the professional advice. And that's
0: the ironic thing. Like the people that almost need the advice the most aren't willing to pay for it. And then, therefore, their results suffer until such time that they've got enough behind them or they make enough mistakes. I don't know if you've had the mistakes on your journey as well. Oh,
1: definitely. There's <laughs> been heaps of mistakes, and I'll, um, to- yeah, we'll take us through a bit of the journey so far. Yeah, cool. We um, more of that well, first. if it's just the the property journey, and I think you guys will be probably pretty surprised, I'm gonna, the, the biggest outcome from what I want to do today is, pre- is demonstrate that I preach what I say. So, If we go back, you know, I'm in Melbourne. I've always known that property was a thing. I was on the corporate ladder, probably earning less than, I don't know, 70K until this point in time. So bought my first property in 2016, which is uh, when we got married. I think we settled like a week or two before we got married. Um, It was the first family home. It was a, wasn't off the plan, but it's essentially a brand new townhouse um, in an area that's probably like 20 kilometre radius uh, within the Melbourne CBD so you know fundamentals does tick a few boxes but again it was new and um a townhouse only a two-bed ass tiny little thing they build them like shoe boxes so bought that was my that was our first house and we lived in there for about four years purchased it for 415 and as i mentioned we got married and traveled a fair bit and just forgot about the whole property thing. Like I, I was happy that we got into a house and, you know, we were on, were on our way sort of thing. And then it hmm. uh, wasn't to the Christmas of, I think, 2018 maybe. So, two, yeah, two years later, I started to read Steve Ignite's book again and it reignited that fire. And I just never looked at my property but realized that I had a bit of equity in there and, you know, had the potential to go again. So, bought another one in 2019 for four eighty and then i was in that heat of the moment like steve mcknight's got 320 Mm. properties in x amount of years right so i felt like i had to do that and that was the uh, back to your point like i wasn't paying for education i was reading a book that was 20 years old that gave me a false reality of what building a portfolio looks like in today's economy so i went out again and rushed and bought another property for 473k um and so up until this point all of the properties that i purchased were like either units like they weren't apartments or you know really, really bad assets, but they weren't potentially the best assets that I could be in. So my first asset was 415, second in 2019 was 480 and then I, I rushed again in 2020 and bought another one for 473. And the funny thing is, and, and this is what I'm sort of meaning when I like talk, when I preach is, I re- rushed out and bought subpar quality assets. Now the fundamentals were still there. they were all you know 15 oh, some sum item. well, you know, the CBD well was high today. density any i'm gathering high density high land component. So you no know, it wasn't you, you didn't buy any apartments or anything in the mix didn't, didn't buy any apartments yeah. um they're all in blocks of like less than four or five um you know high land component they're on the ground so they did have like you know a little bit of a, a backyard and uh, all that sort of stuff they're not they're, they've actually performed well like it's not like they're, they're bad mm. assets necessarily but i guess the biggest thing is if i had just stopped and you know, even those two purchases in 2019 and 2020, if I had instead spent 900K on a really, really good quality property, then I probably would be in a better position than I am today. And so by preaching where I am, and I'll sort of walk you through the value of my portfolio today, but preaching what I mean today is I stopped at that point. I stopped investing. I started a business. And when you start a business, you need need two years worth of taxable income to be able to um, purchase again. But Given that mistake that I made, not that it was a mistake, but I knew that I could have done better. Yeah. What I've actually done now is just stopped. I've saved everything that I possibly could. I've just extracted all of the equity that I possibly could. And now I'm about to go out and buy our um, big family home for about two and a half million dollars. And so I'm really happy that we're in that position to be able to go out and buy that. Now that's gonna be you know, the foundation of our assets and be where we live. It's gonna be the biggest, probably the biggest wealth generator within our portfolio and then i'm going to transition to sort of higher income assets as i start to go along so that's what i mean like you know i could have easily like i have been pre-approved this whole time because i go through um a private banking which i've been fortunate enough to get the access to um so i could have potentially bought along that journey but i just decided Mm. to stop sit back and go hold on a minute instead of buying a million dollar house and then a 1.5 million dollar house or let's get into a really 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 good asset that's going to outperform for me over 30 years than making this rust de- rush decision to you know potentially tap myself out on subpar assets yeah love it makes sense I, we get the question a lot on
0: um our perth property investment facebook group you know do i buy what i can afford now or do i wait a while to buy something with greater quality and i'm always leaning on the quality side of the it. <laughs> fence, just yeah, because I i've think- done the vanity numbers of Wanting to tell people I own five properties quickly and, you know,
1: at your barbecues. and It's you know. such a trap that we get caught into and, like, you know, or, like, because I've worked... How in good's the, the adrenaline, adrenaline as well? Oh, yeah. and I work with all of these people that have got gigantic, you know, number of properties. And it's just, like, mm-hmm. you feel embarrassed saying, oh, I've only got four properties in the portfolio. But, you know, if you got to compare what what they're actually what the portfolio is worth and what income it's generating and how the growth is performance that's a true indicator of how a portfolio performs not like a specific number it's yeah i think you're spot on so take us through how things look now because you've taken action
0: you've actually had learnings like you shouldn't kick yourself too much and you know we've been through a pretty good time in the markets and you know how have you gone
1: on yeah, the other I side mean, of it? everything everything's um pretty decent all things considered so first one in 2016 i bought for 415 and just got it revalued for 720. Mm-hmm. um so nearly doubled in value but um hasn't hasn't done too badly the 2019 we bought for 480 and i think i just got revalued for 810. that one's actually done a lot lot better mm-hmm. obviously we have gone through a, a big period of, of growth yes, as well, a short big period big. as well yeah and then um the 2021 was four seventy-three. And I think I got revalued at six seventy. So all up. Things have done pretty well. They haven't done badly, but I could have got into better assets. You know, people that I know that have bought property at the start of COVID for 1.5 million now sitting on 2.2. Million. So it, it's all relative. Yeah. Um and then with buying the PPOR at about two and a half mil, it'll bring the total portfolio value to about four point seven mil. And and that'll essentially be it, I think, other than some potentially higher income generating assets, and um, I'm never a big fan of selling property. But if an opportunity comes where I can sell some of those earlier assets at a decent price in a decent market, I may decide to potentially sell them and maybe Level even just sit on something. the big the big PPOR and maybe one or two higher cash flow generating assets. Mm. And the other thing is,
0: like, it's great that you have a plan now and. The cool thing is that at least when you're working your plan, you can keep updating and it can be a dynamic thing as well. So people think, oh, you know, a plan is fixed and it stays in place forever, or people don't have any plan and just make it up as they go. I like the middle ground of, you know, you have a plan, but as when you get into your um, higher PPOR, you know, you're going to enjoy that lifestyle. It's going to change your whole perspective on things too. And I've been through a similar journey to this, and now two years, three years later, after living in there, it's grown substantially as well—a really quality, you know, asset-quality property. And we're looking up and thinking, oh, well, maybe we will do another upgrade in the next three, three years, and keep the original PPOR as a real quality investment property to round out the portfolio. And your equity gives you choices um, as to if you want to do that or not. You don't have to, but It's like, yeah, your kids as well come on the scene and it's like, oh, we need to worry about schools and
1: (laughs) other things. (laughs) And that's the really, there's two really key components that you brought up there is like you go through so many different life stages and your wants and needs and desires will change in every one of those life stages. In fact, they'll probably change multiple times within those life stages. And that is why it is so important to update and change your plan when things come along. Not only do that, but try and think about one day I might have kids, so one day they might mm-hmm. be going to school, and one day I might need to be stationed to that yeah. school because, you know, as I said before, they hate selling property because the transaction costs are so high, right? Because six percent to buy when you got stamp building and pairs conveyancing and three yeah. percent to sell, with is you know, your agent sales fees and conveyancing on the way out. So there game you never <laughs> want to go and buy a property and then have to sell if you don't have to. And so if you can think about these bigger picture things that might occur sometime down the line, at least you have factored that in so that, you know, you're not double handling on stamp duties and stuff like that. Mm. And the other thing I've found in starting to really work through people's plans is that
0: you can look at building a bit of a mix in your portfolio as well. You know, just because these weren't the highest quality of assets, you bought them in a good timing, which may or may not have been accidental or on purpose, but you know, that's really worked out for you. And even if they're not as growth focused, the cash flow, if it's more cash flow focused, then you know, that's going to balance things out and give you cash flow sooner than you might have otherwise had on a different type of asset so how how do you kind of see the types of properties fitting together i guess and and yeah give us some insight as to how you're thinking about the portfolio because i really want to start tapping into your head as to planning and creating a portfolio
1: because that's where i think you've got the most experience yeah definitely well i mean if you if you just break it down like in terms of i'll I'll work through like a generic scenario and then i'll yeah um, Walk through my own so in terms of like a typical scenario the way that we generally approach it and again i know everyone's different but if you're looking for that for to start five on, properties but... in five years perfect scenario this is something you can think about but um there's three stages that we go through mm. the first one is what we call foundation where we're really looking to get into those assets that are going to set the base to the portfolio These are generally higher quality assets that are going to build equity for you. Now, the reason we want equity first is because typically the property market will grow at a faster rate than you can save or at a faster rate than your income grows. So on that point before, when we're talking about, you know, do we buy what we can now or wait for something a little bit better? If you know that you're going to be on the same sort of income and saving the same amount of rates, sometimes it is better to get into an asset Mm. that will help advance you. But, but it's going to take yeah, too long. If you're, if you're projecting forward and it's like, oh, well,
0: to, to do that better purchase after wait five years, well, that time is opportunity cost as well, isn't it?
1: Oh, spot on. And if you're you know, in your young, young 20s and got that mindset of, I really want to you know, get into the property market like I was, typically your income is going to drastically increase within that decade. And so mm-hmm. you might be going through that period of like, you know you might be earning, let's say 80K, year and you're just trying to save 30 K a year out of that and you're scrimping every dollar, you're being really conservative. But in two or three years, you might be earning 120K and be able to save, you know, 60 K of that. And so, you know, have a think about those those changes that are going to come through that'll help you to make that decision on do we buy now and help us grow or income's going to increase, savings going to increase, let's wait and get into a better asset. But we go for growth because we want to build that equity. And what we do with that equity is extract it in the term in the form of borrowable equity. So we refinance those loans back to an 8% LVR, preferably. Pull out the difference of what your current loan is and what that new loan is going to be. And we get that as an equity loan. And then we use a combination of that and savings to then go and buy the second property. Now, fundamentally, you want to do stay growth-focused the whole way through because, if that's your goal, because generally growth always outstrips and outperforms. If the goal is to retire in 15 years, there is a case to potentially go for higher cash flow, but that's a big conversation. So still growth focused on the second third and fourth property but it does come at that cost of understanding where your overall cash flow is going to be if you're hindering and hemorrhaging and you've got you know 20 or 30k a year coming out going towards the portfolio if you can support that from your income and you know it's going to be solid and comfortable and you're happy to have that opportunity cost of mm-hmm. Enjoying your job and the day, and want to stay yeah. It, yeah for sure go and do that because you're going to have a much better outcome in 30 years however If you are in that position of maybe not enjoying the job, maybe you want to switch companies, maybe want to travel a little bit, maybe do some things a little bit later on, there is a good case to say, okay, let's still stay growth focused, but maybe let's target some areas that have a little bit higher of a yield, maybe four, four and a half, five percent or something like that. Now, typically the It's it's funny hearing you say. Those percents when we're in Perth, and that would be a pretty low yield here. So maybe (laughs) come
0: and buy in Perth.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's an option, isn't it? To be fair, you know, there's there's lots of lots of professionals that I know that are buying in Perth right now. So it's a it's a really good case in point. And so what that that'll allow you to do is not make sure that you're paying twenty or thirty grand towards the portfolio. It might keep it within that sort of ten grand, ten k range, or a bit more probably right now. But if we interest rates come down in you know two or three years then you might even be slightly positive in a, in a short amount of time period and that just allows you to kill continue to build the momentum within the portfolio so we call those you know property number two to three or four momentum mm-hmm. And then finally generally what we want to do is max out the borrowing capacity with those types of assets so we're fully fully maxed out we can't borrow anymore and then we move into purely passive income focused assets and typically that comes in the form of either like a commercial property or you might you know be real risk adverse and or real risky and want to buy something that's like multiple room housing or go for an airbnb strategy or something like that and the reason we typically go for commercial is because you can get different types of lending there's lease stock loans or other forms of lending that we can get that you know the the, the debt or the repayment on the debts just assessed by the lease on the asset it might be a five year lease they know what's going to come in they know that you're going to be able to make the repayment so they're happy to sign the lease and then there's other ways you know you can get lending as well so want to max out our our borrowing capacity on the best quality assets that we can that are going to have a good growth outcome if the idea is to be as wealthy as possible and then start to transition to higher passive income assets as we get into those later stages of life and you know we want to combat some of those higher expenses of the bigger portfolio coming in hmm. and i guess if you are buying a more cash flow focused
0: property and even your original properties over time those rents are compounding and you know adding up to taking the portfolio to being more positive as well so time i used to think time was just about what it does for your for your growth right I so, and, and your asset base but having now modeled a lot of these things out i'm like oh well, we actually if, if if cash flow is important to us and we want to bring that time horizon forward we also need to give the properties enough time to grow and compound in their rents so that's yeah time, exactly and i think i think and that, yeah you can't short circuit it either it's like you can't just say oh i want to do my, um, replace my income in three years or five years. It's so much harder if you have a longer time horizon
1: than the rent's compound up. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, you're probably like me and I, I guess probably some of the listeners are like me. Like, well, you know, when you get that property bug, you get super addicted, right? And you want to listen to everyone and you want to read every book and you want to listen to the professionals, the people that have been doing it for years. And um, I love them all in the space. They're all fantastic. I think they've all got unique opinions and, and, and really correct insights. Um, But they also invested or started investing in a time that was very different to where we are now. And so, you know, when we, again, talk about that 10 properties in 10-year strategy, even if we shot it down to 5 properties in 15 years, the way a lot of people still think about it is, okay, well, let's get into just growth-focused assets. We'll let those asset base grow over 10 or 15 years. Then we'll sell half of the assets and then use the funds to pay down the debt. The problem is with that strategy, I mean, you can still do it with like five properties maybe, but the problem is they used to be able to do it with 10, right? You buy 10, sell five, then you'd have five left and you'd still have enough passive income. The problem today is if you buy five and you sell two, well, the other remaining three typically won't have enough passive income to support you in that later stage of life. So you really do need to build a very specific portfolio for your specific outcome that's going to ride and allow you to take that journey as you start to go along and be on top of all of these changes that are happening in the world that we are today we used to be able to lend in different entities and lend in different environments and it was a lot looser back Mm. in the day where now it's very specific we only borrow. or
0: of your income you know borrowing it 10 times was pretty normal these days you know if you want to be able to refinance and you want to stay within the boxes you know going probably more than six times is a bit of a risk and even though you know there's banks that still do eight times ten times you know you have to think about that portability as well especially lately when we've seen you know people come off of fixed rates they're on a variable and a non-discounted variable right they're paying higher than normal and then if their property's taken a little dip in the meantime or something's happened you know or they, they can't they've got a larger borrowing that exceeds that portability around other lenders then they're they're struggling to refinance. So that refinancing piece is
1: pretty important as well as things change. Oh, so important. Uh if there's if there's any if there's one thing that you take away from this is property is a game of finance. And I saw that you got Stuart Weems on not too long ago. <laughs> yes. Like one of my um my favorites in the space. And if you haven't read his book, The Rules of the Lending Game, like I'd highly recommend it. If there's anything that you need to learn about property, it's it's the the finance space and getting that downpacked. Hmm. So have you got
0: any learnings or mistakes that stick out to take yeah, us at
1: through a, at a high level i guess if you just if we just isolate my own portfolio i rushed to buy whatever i could at whatever price point i could when i was young when my income was going to significantly increase anyway in a short amount of time um i bought two properties that were in sort of close proximity to each other maybe 10 kilometers not the worst thing to do in the world but it takes away from that diversification piece I've always been susceptible to that specific market that are quite close to each other when it does well they both do well when it does poorly they both do poorly so you're not diversified around the country from that side of things as I mentioned I always kind of went for those units that are in the inner city 15 kilometer radius with with higher land which listening to podcasts and reading books earlier on you know based on the price point that was still an okay thing to get in but mm. again I would always prefer a much bigger block of land without strata that you can control and do whatever you want to, manufacture equity, um, you know, as limited from that side of things, you can do a renovation, but not a huge one. Well, thanks for joining us for part one,
0: Jordan, and taking us through your inside story so far. I'm really excited to be diving into part two on our next episode, where we're going to be going into your actual game plan software and what it involves and how it can help investors, as well as... A lot of your learnings from dealing with hundreds and hundreds of uh, clients and investors and the partners that you deal with that use the software like myself. So we're going to be unpacking you know, w- what's involved in a good, clear plan. Why do investors make so many mistakes when it comes to creating a plan? Why do a lot of investors not even have a plan? And then we look into what a good plan involves and what it looks like and how it can benefit you and how we can help with the whole process. So very excited about part two next time. I'll catch you on the next episode. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorsedge.com comau slash join and finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth property investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group. <music>